there was a step there that um, if I stood on it, I'd be seven feet tall. And um, being just under six foot four, I didn't want to uh, do anything. Well, listen, uh, enough foolishness. I would really encourage you that this week you call your friends, those folk who should be sitting next to you, and let them know that Jeff O'Grady is preaching. This is his first time back in a couple of several Sundays. Wouldn't it be nice to welcome him back with just a full congregation? He will be so pleased by that. Next Sunday is the last 10 of 10, and uh, Jeff will wrap up the, uh, the Ten Commandments. And then the following Sunday, again, I would remind you, we begin at 9 a.m., and we will together have a picnic at 10.30. But I do hope that you'll be back next Sunday. Always look forward to what Jeff has to say and how God puts on his heart just the right words so often to help us, to help me. Our scripture this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 29, and I invite you to read along in the order of worship or the pew Bible in front of you, but hear and listen now for God's word. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with the seal on the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And this week's commandment is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Here are some people that you might remember. Bernie Madoff, both lied and stole. Lance Armstrong lied. Tiger Woods and Kirk, uh, Kobe Brandt committed adultery. Deline Roof murdered five innocent people at a Bible study in South Carolina. Christopher Hitchens is proud to be called an atheist. Well, the ninth commandment teaches us that you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor or simply you shall not lie. On this commandment hangs the honesty of each individual in relation to his or her neighbor. The fact that the ninth commandment regarding false testimony comes after a series of commandments 
dealing with different forms of misbehavior, witnesses to the fact that our speech has a huge impact on the way we live in community. Life and truth are connected. The psalmist speaks to the ninth commandment, Set a guard, O Lord, over my tongue. Keep watch over the door of my mouth. And the familiar psalm says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Although less dramatic than killing or robbery, lying is, in fact, a commandment too easily broken. Lying or giving false witness is a part of our everyday experiences on all levels, beginning with, the check is in the mail. Or, my, have you lost weight recently? To our participation in idle gossip. Now, gossip is an acceptable form of lying. Most of, enjoy, most of us enjoy either hearing about gossip or telling about gossip or both. Alice Roosevelt, the daughter of Teddy Roosevelt, in her later years when her mobility was limited, received friends in her sitting room and announced, if you have anything you want to say that's not good about somebody, sit next to me. Gossip comes in a variety of forms. Some of it is truly idle, indulgent talk, an innocent exchange of, about our lives, of the people we know, who's moving, who has a new job, who is sick, and so on. But as soon as we begin to pass on heresy or embellish the facts, trouble is not far behind. The important, the more important the subject of the, gos of the gospel, the more pleasurable the telling. Do you remember the story of the four pastors that lived in a small community and they went off to retreat together and the Roman Catholic said, you know, one of the things that really helps my people is confession. So let's confess to one another. Well, the first pastor says, sometimes I call in sick rather than going to a boring church meeting. The second pastor confessed to smoking cigars on his day off. The third pastor confessed that he loved having a couple of beers with lunch after church. And the fourth pastor confessed that he enjoyed passing on gossip and could hardly wait to tell his friends. <laughs> Rumors fly in the time of crisis. They accentuate and aggravate emotions or outright hostility. What we say tells as much about us as persons as it does about the subject of our gossip. When gossip is motivated by wish, fear, hatred, 
it often carries condemnation, not compassion, intends evil, not good. Now, lying is another matter. Lies are intentional untruths. We lie to improve our image, build prestige, to overcome a sense of inadequacy. We lie when we fear to tell the truth. In Genesis, Eve is told that God is a liar, and he's just jealous, and he doesn't want her to know the truth. Now, police and the IRS come to expect lying. Lying undermines the truth that holds humanity together. Society requires a certain element of trust. Think about your bank statement or your credit card or the legal system. We protect ourselves with rules and laws and commissions. Why? We know the bottom line makes us all liars. The ninth commandment is as relevant as all of the others. All are important. But when the rich young ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Jesus says, you know the law. And when the Pharisees asked Jesus, what was the best and first commandment? And the greatest of all the commandments. And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. See, Jesus doesn't give a new commandment, but he does expand their intent. Dale Bruner, in his commentary on Matthew, writes, the whole law dangles on these two pegs. The law wants the adoration of God and the cherishing of the people. Jesus has taken his answer not from a dusty religious corner, but from the very center of Israel's revelation. He believes in the divine authority of Holy Scripture. He is unique by ex exalting these two commandments above all the rest of the law. Proverbs says the Lord detests lying lips, but delights in those who are truthful. Again in Proverbs we read, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devised wicked plans, feet that are hurried to run to evil, a lying witness that testifies falsely, and one who sows discord in his family. In the Psalms we read, guard your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. 
prophets of Israel understood that perverting the commandments opened the way to idolatry. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the churches says, So then, putting away falsehood, let us all speak the truth to our neighbor, for we are members one of another. Jesus, the brother of James, makes a vital point when he talks about a lying tongue. He writes, How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. No one, who, no one can tame the tongue. With it we bless the Lord and Father and curse those who are made in the image of God. My brothers and sisters, he says, this ought not to be. When we open our mouths, we are playing with fire. How often have you said after someone has said something to you, this is, oh, that just brings my blood to a boil. Or what he just said or what was just told burns me up. Our tongues convey some of our heart knowledge. You and I live in a world of words that either woo us or wound us. Isaiah said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among the people with unclean lips. The Apostle Paul wrote, I do not do, for I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. And I, can, I, I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. However, Paul is liberated from debilitating defeat by accepting God's justifying grace. He accepted forgiveness, knowing full well that he did not deserve it. Jesus taught that God is like a shepherd who seeks out that lost sheep, like that woman who sweeps her entire house looking for coin, lost coin, or the father who stands by the roadside looking, waiting for his wayward son to come home. Throughout my entire ministry, Sunday after Sunday, I have always quoted 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sin, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because Jesus is faithful and just, we are encouraged to confess our sin, seeking reconciliation through repentance. The Bible uses the word repent or repentance over a hundred times. Throughout the scriptures, repentance is expressed as a call for a radical turn from one way of life 
to another made possible by confessing our sin. One of the standards that we have in the Reformed tradition of our faith is that we begin worship with a community prayer of confession. Not that everything that we have done on the week is in that prayer. Things that we have done have been left out of the prayer. But it's a community before God saying, God, I need your forgiveness. I have sinned in word and deed. And so we confess on a weekly basis in this Reformed understanding of our faith a prayer of confession. Repentance begins with admitting guilt or for committing a wrong against God and others. Repentance is not optional morally or ethically But repentance is an ethical imperative. But we cannot repent on our own. Repentance begins with God, God God-focused. In repentance, we embrace the grace of God to confess, confront, and turn idolatry of self with the mandate for reconciliation with our neighbor and with ourselves. So repentance does not begin with me, does not begin with you. Repentance begins with God, whose love, truth, and justice define the meaning of right and wrong, good and evil, healthful and harmful, just and unjust. That motivation caused Moses to confront the Egyptians' unjust treatment of the Hebrew slaves. Nathan was motivated to confront David with his sinful relationship with Bathsheba and to confront King David with the murder of Uriah. Isaiah, Amos, Micah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel were motivated to confront the ways of power that abused and oppressed widows, children, the weak, and the poor. Jesus confronted the religious elite who had little regard for the Hebrew nation. You see, it involves changing sides and joining God and creating what Martin Luther King Jr. called the beloved community. Repentance changed Zacchaeus from being known as that hated tax collector to being a son of Abraham. It requires that the wrongdoer acknowledges the sin, the evil talk, the speaking ill of your neighbor, whether across the street or across the world. We need to actively, sincerely confess our sin and live out the grace and forgiveness of God. The prophet Isaiah urged the spiritually strong to embrace the exhausted, strengthen the feeble. 
Proverbs gives us this truth. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, and the tongue of the wise brings healing. There is beauty in telling the truth, even if it hurts. Those who twist life so that the look good for those who are searching. 